following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Every year, babies are born alive despite attempted abortions. Some of these babies are just left to die without medical care that could save them. Governor Northam from Virginia has made statements that he would, after a baby is born that was supposed to be aborted, He would leave that baby in a comfortable place. Well, what he's really saying is, I would leave that baby in a comfortable place without any nourishment, without any water, and let that baby die. Now, Dr. Kermit Gosnell 
was convicted of killing babies born alive after botched abortions. This is barbaric. And Governor Northam is right there standing for infanticide. I'm really proud of my sweetheart. Alexandra went down to Richmond this last Saturday. She made signs, and she stood against infanticide and rape. We have a crisis in Virginia. We have men who have been who have very clearly demonstrated that they are, first of all, racist. Governor Northam is one of those. And secondly, rapist. Mr. Fairfax. I'm very concerned about this, and and she was also. So she was there, and it was raining. She was tired. She was interviewed on NBC was able to make her statement. It's time to stand up for what we believe in. Every baby deserves a chance to live. Every baby deserves medical care and legal protections. Now there is a bill. It's called the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act. We want you to demand that Congress pass the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act, which would require doctors to administer life-saving medical care to any baby who is born, including abortion survivors. But the abortion lobby does not want to allow any restrictions on abortion whatsoever, even to killing the baby after it's born. These babies need your voice. We must demand legal protection and medical care for these defenseless children. They're not just babies, they're children. The Senate will vote tonight on whether or not to criminalize infanticide. The Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act. If you go to aclj.org, you can sign a petition. I urge you to do this. Calling on our senators to pass this bill. Now, it's with sadness, I tell you, that the Democrats in the House of Representatives have consistently blocked every attempt to criminalize infanticide. I want you to go to aclj.org and sign the petition. It has to be done so they can present it tonight. Now, if you want to call your senator, Tim Kaine, I'm going to give you the numbers. Tim Kaine's phone number, Senator Kaine, it's area code 202-224-4024. Or if you would like to call Senator Mark Warner, also from Virginia, his number, 202-224-2023. Or if you're in Maryland, Ben Cardin, 
202-224-4524. Again, 202-224-4524. Chris Van Hollen. Senator Chris Van Hollen, 202-224-4654. Will you take action on this? I don't usually get into this on the air, but today, my heart is deeply stirred. How can we kill our babies? This is incredible. It's infanticide. It's, it's like Hitler. This is happening in America, infanticide. And our governor in Virginia supports infanticide. He claims to be a real doctor, pediatrician. I don't call him that. I call him Dr. Gosnell. You can tell this is a very painful and vital issue. Will you take action now? Again, go to aclj.org and you can sign the petition. Now let's pray. God, the wickedness of our nation is like a geyser of vile filth filling our country. I ask, Lord, that you would give senators and congressmen the courage to say enough, stop it. Almighty God, I plead that you would shut Planned Parenthood down, that you would bring judgment upon those who would kill innocent children. Oh Lord, enough is enough. Surely your your ears have heard the cry of the unborn. And of those born, but then are are killed, murdered. Lord, have mercy on America. Change this now by your grace. I pray in your holy name a blessing on this radio broadcast today. Please, Jesus, come and move in power. I pray in your holy name, the name of Jesus. Amen. You're listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. I want to speak to you about having faith in God. My heart rests with Jesus. My heart rests in absolute trust that He will bring justice and mercy. I'm going to begin reading for you in the next portion of Mark, which is Mark 11, verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this, tell him the Lord needs it, and will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, 
tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus, they threw their cloaks over it, and he sat on it. Now, just a very quick note. This is a sign that he is coming as king. To ride on a donkey, humbly, a donkey that never before has been used in agriculture or ever before ridden. Verse 8, many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they'd cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, or set us free, save. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. So the crowds are all excited. They're shouting. They're waving palm branches. Jesus is coming to Jerusalem as the king. And then he entered Jerusalem. And as he made his way to the temple, crowds dissipated and disappeared. So anticlimactic. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. In other words, he came to his own house, and his own house did not receive him. There was nobody there to welcome the king of kings and and the king of glory. This is beyond my imagination. How is this possible? Why didn't runners go suddenly all over the city of Jerusalem and shout, The king is here. The king is here. The king is here. Nobody did that. He comes into the temple and all the temple services have concluded. There are no people there. The crowd that was with him on the way in have dissipated, probably in fear of the priests in the temple. Jesus simply walked out, sent the colt back, walked out, went to Bethany where he spent the night. Now the next day, Jesus came without breakfast. He was hungry. And he saw in the distance a fig tree. This fig tree was covered with leaves. In that day, it says that it was not yet time for the figs. The leaves were early on this tree. The figs came before the leaves. Because there were leaves, he he should have been able to find at least one or two figs. But he found nothing. He reached it, he found nothing but leaves. It says, because it was not the season for figs. No, it would be another month before the fig season was in full sway and the tree would be full of ripe figs. But this fig tree in a month was going to have no figs because it had not put on any figs. It was empty. And he says to the tree, 
May no one ever eat fruit from you again. His disciples heard him say this. It must have sounded strange to their ears. Jesus didn't normally go around cursing trees. But he wants to give a parable. So he reached Jerusalem. Jesus enters the temple area. And his heart, probably out of the righteousness of what he has just done, he has come as king of kings. He's come as the Lord. And no one noticed him. Everyone turned aside. He was not received by his own. John, the Gospel of John in the first chapter tells us, he came to his own and they did not recognize him. They did not receive him. But what does Jesus see? He sees the hustle and bustle. He sees everybody chatting and talking and laughing and playing. He sees an area where the money tables are all set up and he sees them selling pigeons or doves for sacrifices. He sees a place where they can buy cattle for their sacrifices. People have come in from all over the country. And instead of driving their cattle or their their sheep, whatever they bring on the hoof, they sold them and they brought the money and now they want to buy in the temple what they'll use for their sacrifice. It had become a house of merchandising, a house of money-making. The zeal of the Lord filled his heart. And he, in a, in a righteous rage, began to flip over the tables of the money changers. Have you ever heard coins drop on a, on a stone floor or a cement floor, a marble floor? Oh, the sound is loud. And everybody hears it, and they all look. Then he goes to the to the table where they're selling doves. He opens the dove cage. He lets them fly free. He turns over all the tables. In another place, it says he made a whip out of cords. And he drove the cattle, the sheep, the goats. He drove them out. He cleaned out his house. He wouldn't let anyone carry merchandise through the house. He said, no, this is not a place of business. Is it not written, he said, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you've made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this. They wanted to kill him, but they were afraid of him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. Let's talk about this a minute. What happens when you go to church? Is your church filled with the sound of prayer and praise as you enter? 
Or is everybody tuning up the orchestra, running around, setting up chairs, or doing whatever they think they need to do to get ready, passing out programs? We're going to go through this little ritual together. We're going to make confession and and say that we're sinners. We're going to sing some songs. We're going to listen to the preacher talk. And then we're out of here. We're off to lunch. What happens when you go into the house of God? Is the house of God sacred to you? And after the little rituals are all finished, what happens then? Does the sound explode in conversation and laughter as people are now, they have their ticket punched and they're on their way out making arrangements to have lunch with one another? or some other arrangement? Is your church building a house of prayer? Is it a house of prayer that welcomes all races, all creeds? Is it a place where we can contact the Almighty God and reach his throne. If you can't pray in the house of God, where can you pray? They used to have some of the old timers, Bevington and others. They set up what they called a mourner's bench in the front. And if you began to fall under conviction, they urged you to get up out of your seat and go forward and sit in the mourner's bench. What happens in the mourner's bench? As the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you begin to sense how undone you are and and sinful you are. Things come to your mind and, and you haven't repented of that and and you know you've made foolish choices and foolish decisions. You've reached out for the shimmering, shiny things of the world. You have not focused your time and your attention on Jesus. And suddenly you're convicted of that, and you've got to get right with the Lord. So you go sit in the mourner's bench. I think there should be only two seats in the house of God. One for the mourners those who are weeping over their sin, and two, for those rejoicing and praising God and honoring him and praying for one another. Did you know that in Acts, the church did not go through these kinds of rituals? In the book of Acts, the church was a prayer meeting. The church was founded as a prayer meeting. I know churches, I've spoken with pastors, said, you have a prayer meeting. Well, no, we don't. Why? No one is interested in coming. How is it possible that a church would not be interested in praying together? That's astonishing to me. But I understand. We want a program. We want a time to begin. 
I mean, one man said to me, we love our pastor. I said, why do you love your pastor? Well, because he preaches short sermons. I said, what are you talking about? How long does he preach? Hmm? 15 or 20 minutes? And then he lets us go. I'm sorrowful. The house of God has become a social center. It's become an entertainment center. It's got the large screens up front so everybody can see the the dancers and the, and the mimes and everybody can see all the entertainment. And then when we're in the church of the pastors fawning over others, especially if there's a guest speaker, oh, the the introduction will go on and on and on and on, almost as long as the sermon. It's strange what's happening in our church in America. We've lost, we've lost it being a house of prayer for all nations, for all people, black and white, Chinese, American Indian, The church is for everybody. If you go into a church in Washington, D.C., and the whole church is black, if the whole church is white, if the whole church is Chinese, they've missed it. There should be people from every race and every nation that gather in the house of God. Racial prejudice is sin. Can I say that again? Every form of racial prejudice, whether on the part of black, Chinese, white, every form of racism is sin before God. And it will block the power and presence of the Holy Spirit from your life. The killing of babies is sin. Infanticide is sin. We've got to call these things by what they are. Making the house of God into a place of entertainment is sin. The pastor standing up in front of the congregation and telling jokes is sin. It's wrong. It's wicked. If you're in that kind of church, run. Get out of there. Flee. If your church is a social church and no prayer, get out of there. You're in a place of death, not life. If the ritual has to go on and you have to have the communion at the end of every worship service, nothing wrong with the communion service. I love it. But it has become an empty ritual in the American church in many quarters. I would not be a part of a church like that. Jesus said, my house will be called a house of prayer. He doesn't even say, my house will be called a house of preaching. 
or a house of teaching. That's important, preaching. Faith comes by hearing the word. That's not the central focus of the church. The central focus of the church is prayer. How many times I've been in church, invited people to pray, and it's as though everyone has the hand over their mouth. They don't pray. Now that's beginning to break at the National Prayer Chapel. People are opening up and their mouths beginning to pray earnestly. Not earnestly enough. We're not there yet. But of all things, the National Prayer Chapel should be known for prayer, for supplication, earnest crying out to God, for repentance and humility. People have the attitude, I can take it or leave it. Come to the National Prayer Chapel and they've left and they've said, I enjoyed the fellowship. What? Go to church first and foremost for fellowship. I go first and foremost to pray that things will change in our culture, that things will change in my brothers and sisters things will change in me. You can actually go to church and have a little silent prayer spoken and that be the only prayer you offer. That seems incredible to me. You can go to church and no one prays for you and you pray for no one. What? What is prayer? Prayer is the opening of the heart to God, is to a friend. Prayer is opening the heart to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who in majesty rules the earth and all of the universe. Prayer is is coming in and admitting that I am undone, that I don't know how to get through this, that I don't have an answer, and I need an answer. Prayer is getting on your face before God and getting really honest and confessing your sin one by one. Prayer is when you come into the house of God and you say, I'm not going to leave here until I'm changed. I'm going to stay here till I'm changed. I have to be changed. I have to be made like Jesus. Jesus made this astonishing statement. In the morning as they were they were going along. They saw the fig tree and it was withered from the roots up. Every part of it was dead. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the tree that you cursed has withered. Well, 
Well, my question to you today is, have you withered? Have you had lots of show and no go? Have you one of those who goes to church and leaves and you're the same as when you arrived? Or have you humbled your heart before God? Has there been a change in your heart and in your life? And in context now, this is what Jesus says. This is Mark, the 11th chapter, verse 22. Have faith in God. Jesus answered, Have faith in God. I've spent many hours and days praying the prayer of Mark eleven twenty two twenty five. I've prayed it aloud cried over it, I've wept over it. But the very heart of it, faith in God. What do I mean? If you go to Hebrews, the 11th chapter, let me read it for you. The 11th chapter. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. There's something missing here. Faith is based on belief in God. It is based on a certainty that God is who he says he is. And this Belief is sustained by the by the word of God. The promise is there. And it is an act. Faith is an act. So when it says, have faith in God, you have to read this as it actually is. Have action in God. Do something in God. Well, what does he want us to do? Jesus answers, I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. So have action in God. What kind of action? Say to that mountain that's sitting on your head, that's crushing you, go throw yourself into the sea and do not doubt in your heart, but believe that what you say will happen. It will be done for you. You won't do it. It will be done for you. I pray this scripture every day, crying out to God, I was up this morning crying out to God over this scripture. And of particular concern to me is that it's almost impossible to pray 
when you do not have the Pentecost baptism of the Holy Spirit. That baptism quickens you in a way that nothing else will so that you can pray. But for those of us who have simply been anointed by the Holy Spirit but not in the power of Pentecost, every single thing possible will rise up and say, don't waste your time. Go do something about it yourself because God's not going to do anything. But Jesus said, have action in God. Have confidence in God. Have an assurance that the action you're taking in placing your trust in God will be answered. He said, I tell you the truth. He always says that before something of vital importance. I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, now it does not say, it does not say, I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, I have created, go throw yourself into the sea. Sometimes the mountains are things that I have created by my actions, but other times the mountains are things that other people have done to me. Sometimes the mountains are things that the devil has brought against me. But whatever it is that is absolutely crushing your heart, I spoke with one dear person this morning. His heart was crushed. He can't bear the burden. It's like a mountain crushing him. I want to pray for that that brother right now. Lord Jesus, you know where my dear brother stands today and the crushing weight that is upon him that is literally taking his life. Every conflict, every physical disability, every attack and accusation of Satan against him. Lord, I just stand by faith now that the mountain is cast into the depths of the sea, that you will remove it from him right now. While I'm praying, would you restore his strength Would you renew his strength? Will you pour great confidence and courage into his heart? Will you give him an absolute certainty that he is loved by you, that he is cherished by you? Lord, he walks in obedience to you, but he is being utterly destroyed physically, emotionally, by the burden that is upon his head. Asking, Lord, With faith in you, I am taking the action you have commanded, Jesus. And I am asking that this mountain would be removed from him, that he could breathe, that he could take deep breaths, that you would blow upon him, Jesus, that you would baptize him in your Holy Spirit, that you would release him from every physical ailment right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, not tomorrow. Right now. As I'm praying right now.
And Lord, I'm just sensing in the Holy Spirit that there are others who say that prayer, please, pastor, pray it for me. Lord, I pray it for every man and every woman who is being crushed by their circumstances, who are being destroyed with physical ailment. Lord, I'm asking for that anointing of your Holy Spirit to go forth and do what you said would happen. You say, go throw yourself into the sea, does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen. It will be done for him. I'm asking, Lord, would you do this for me right now? Would you move through the Holy Spirit right now? For every person who is hurting, who is struggling, who has been faithfully following you, Jesus, I'm asking, would you hear their cry? Lord, in the Spirit, I hear their cries coming up before your throne right now. I'm asking for their release, Jesus. Some are so depressed and so discouraged. They think they're in a hopeless situation. They think nothing can change. Lord, the mountain is crushing them. Lord, please come. Holy Spirit of the living God, come and fulfill this promise today to my brothers and sisters. Oh Lord, I praise your name. I know you are releasing people across this city right now in the name of Jesus. You are removing the financial crush. You are removing the hopelessness. You are opening a way of escape. You are opening the snare now in the name of Jesus. There is physical healing now in the name of Jesus. Lord, thank you. I stand by faith. It is so right now. Glory to your name, Jesus. Oh, Lord, I praise you and I worship you and I honor your name. For you alone are our deliverer. You alone are the lover of our souls. Jesus, 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 thank you for your mercy today. Thank you for your kindness and your deliverance right now. Wherever you are, raise your hands. Begin to praise Jesus. Thank him for what he's doing and setting you free. He's releasing you. Have faith in God. Have action in God now. Receive it. Receive from the Holy Spirit what he will give you right now. Lord, thank you. Glory to your name. Glory to your name. Lord, I receive it along with everyone else, for I too am being crushed. I too am totally undone before you. Like Job of old, I am totally undone at the revelation of Jesus Christ and your glory and your power. Lord, I receive right now the removal of this mountain, the crushing finances, and every other crushing thing that has come upon my heart. Lord, I just trust you right now. I rest in you, Jesus, and I praise and worship your name. Glory to you, Jesus. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Well, glory to God, I had not intended to pray for you like that today. 
but that was Holy Spirit. He said, include everybody. So verse 22, have faith in God, have action in God. Faith is a verb. It's faithing. I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will happen, it will be done for him. I'm going to try to say something. I'm not, I'm not saying this to get you to do something with me. I'm getting, I want you to understand the principle that I'm going to deal with. The National Prayer Chapel is a house church. The Lord has told me that now he is going to begin bringing people to the house church for them to pray, for them to pray for revival in America and in Washington, D.C. And so I'm, I'm doing exactly what the Lord has told me to do. I'm praying. I'm praying. I'm waiting on Jesus. He said he would remove the mountain if I commanded it to be removed. And then it's supposed to be done for me. It's not something I go out and hype. It's something he does for me. He will move. He is moving in the hearts of men and women to bring them to this house church where we can lay aside all of our institutional religion and just seek the face of Jesus. And people drive Frederick, Maryland, Germantown. They come from all over. You can come too. From 10 to 12 every Sunday. It's an intense time. Why am I telling you this? Because I want you to know that it's not something I'm going to do. Jesus said, rest in me, Ray. He will do it. It's not pray and then go make it happen. It's pray, stand by faith, and it will be done outside of me. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Now, this is in the context of all the other scriptures. It's not isolated, that I must pray in accord with the will of God. This is not about praying for my will. This is praying in the will of God, for the kingdom of God, for the brothers and sisters who walk with me in God. It's for deliverance from physical, spiritual oppression from Satan and from natural causes. By his stripes, we are healed in the name of Jesus. And then verse 25, And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. A pastor went to visit a man he didn't like. He was in his church. He was a troublemaker. Always the opposition. Down in bed. Expected to be there for weeks. Finally, out of a guilty conscience, this pastor went. 
and he visited this man. And this man said, I just keep thinking about this passage in James about praying for one another, confessing our sins to one another, anointing with oil that would be healed. I need that healing. Pastor said, I'll pray about it. I'll come back. So he went home and he got some oil. The next day he went back. It says, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him, so your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. He said, brother, I have to start. This pastor did. I have to start before I pray for you. And I have to confess to you I don't like you. And that's sin on my part. A man said, well, pastor, I have to confess to you I don't like you either. And then they prayed. And the next day, nothing seemed to happen as he anointed him with oil and prayed for him. The next day, this man was totally well, totally healed. And they became, of course, best friends. They finally got honest. Do you need Jesus to do something for you? holding grudges against someone and feeling totally justified in holding that grudge? Have you refused to forgive someone? Jesus said, if you refuse to forgive someone, you will not be forgiven for your sin either. And then your prayers will be blocked. You'll not be able to touch the throne of God. So I've prayed for you today. Many of you have sin in your heart. And my prayer for you is not effective because you are not walking forgiven before God. So repent. The simple understanding of Scripture is repent, believe, and receive. Do you have some things you need to repent of? You say, yes, I have faith in God, but you've never put faith in action. The courage to go repent to that person that you've been so angry with and hurt by so that God can forgive you for your sin, so that he can answer your prayers, or are you just going to stop praying? Some of you have just stopped praying. And you go to the entertaining place, And you go through the rituals. You leave unchanged just like you were when you got there. My brother, my sister. I have spoken the word of God to you. I hope you have allowed it to settle deeply in your heart. Have faith in God. Have action in God. Confess your sins. Forgive others. Command that mountain to be removed in the name of Jesus Christ. And watch as God brings deliverance to you. Not something you do, something he does. Very simple. Repent. 
believe and receive. Well, that's all the time we have for the broadcast today. It's been helpful to you. I'd love to hear from you. We're at the end of the month, and frankly, we're facing a great shortfall. Your help financially. Write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You can also contact us by going to the webpage nationalprayerchapel.com. You can give online, and I thank you for the dear brother who just sent $20. Another one just sent $10. Thank you. God bless you all. We love you. Talk to you soon. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy, with great joy. Now unto Him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great